Welcome to episode number nine of the Real Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hartwell, and I'm joined by one of my lifelong friends, Mr. Drake Schrader. And we are doing this on my iPhone because I don't have my real equipment, but this is going to work. I've used it before. So. It's a traveling show, man. It's a traveling show. I'm back home in Deer Park, Texas. Home of the fighting deer. Home of the fighting deer. Um, the Deer Park deer. And I'm home for the holidays. Uh, and we are preparing for the holidays, I would say. I'm going to London in about a week. Exactly a week. I leave on next Thursday, the 28th. Today's the 21st. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so... Um, I'm getting ready for that flight and that nine-hour flight. And actually, Drake spent some time in London. Oh, I did, mate. For uh, studying abroad. I did. Well, how was that experience? How long was it for? <clears throat> um, it was three weeks in London, and I had four days in France that was separate from the educational experience. Um, it was good. London is... Fun, but everyone's angry all the time. They're all just rude. I heard the opposite. Really? Yeah. It's not true. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just like... Well, I'm going to go with your opinion because all everybody who I talked to was just visiting, but you st- actually stayed there. Yeah, I was there for a while and I was in London for two weeks and I was in Stratford-upon-Avon for a week. Everyone in Stratford, which is like a small, quaint little town that Shakespeare was born in, um, everyone in Stratford was really nice. But everyone in London was like trying to do something, and we were just in inconvenience because we didn't know where to go. Like we were yeah. just like, "Hey, can you tell us?" And like, start griping at us and stuff, and people trying to get money from you, and it was like New York, but uh, less dirty and more, I don't know, like pinky in the air, in a non stereotypical way that you would think that people from London are with their tea. They totally were that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to go over there for the experience, but um, we'll see how it goes. With the food's mic. weird, food is really weird. It's not like people go for the cuisine. Anymore. Yeah, you. I feel like London food got stuck in the 1700s. Like it never really progressed. It's been the same thing because it's, it's the, a lot of it's. Although there is, if you have a chance, do you know where you're at in London? If you're like north, south, east, or west, uh, it's gonna be. Well, no, it'll be south, southwest. There's a place called um, Burroughs Burroughs Market. Okay. There's a lot of marketplaces. Marketplaces have good food, but it's like extreme cuisine. It's like really strange. I had like a honeycomb donut, I think, and I had some pork belly on a roll with, with like homemade coleslaw. Wow. And some cool foods like that. And then I think after about five months after I left, there was a stabbing in that same market. Okay. The well. national news. So that's London for you. I mean, build that wall, right? (laughs) There's really nothing to do. Well, I mean, like that. I I think what we're going to do is we're staying in the O2 Intercontinental Hotel. (laughs) Can you you edit that out? (laughs) I'm a big guessy. It's the first part. Just one. I've been waiting for some <laughs> It happened. It did. It did. Oh my gosh. 
All right. I'll edit that out. <laughs> or don't. I don't give a <laughs> flying fart. <laughs> so we're staying right at the Intercontinental O2 Hotel. Um, and that's right next to the O2 Arena. And we're staying... Uh, that's right on the River Thames. And Thames. Thames. It's the Thames River. The Thames River. Okay. Well, I'm uncultured. So the... Uh, I think we're going to do a lot of like pretty much typical I'm not from here tours. Yeah. Like Oxford. But you should because it's cool. All yeah. that stuff. If you've never seen it before, it's awesome. But Downtown it's like, Abbey. It's like New York. If you see the Statue of Liberty or you see the Empire State Building once, when you go back, that's not on your list to do anymore. You yeah. know, you get it done and it's done. There's a place we went called the Serial Killer Cafe that was like cereals from Africa and like all over the world and you could choose what cereal you wanted and they had like weird milk flavors and it was like artisan cereal mm. inspired um, by Jack the Ripper yeah pretty much Jack the uh, serial killer ripper um, there's some like the uh, parliament's cool Big Ben is cool which fun fact Big Ben is actually the name of the bell inside of that clock tower and they're actually it's not going to be working when we're going to be there really yeah they're working on it like Dang. they're repairing it right now I'd stay away from that area. Really? Just, yeah, because it's kind of like all the cool places. It's kind of like standing outside of like one of the DC houses that like people are just trying to go to work. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, look at that house. And everyone's get like, out my get way. out of the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, for the most part, the Thames is really cool. Um, and then the, there's the Eye, the London Eye, which right. is the big Ferris wheel that's overpriced. Don't ride it. It's not worth it. Really? Um we saw, of course, we did a lot of Shakespeare stuff, so we went to the Globe. We were there a lot. We're going to be at the Queen's Theater for Les Mis. So. The Queen's will be cool. Um, all of West End is really cool. Like, big theaters. It's like our, it's like their Broadway. It's really similar. Um, where else did, uh, oh, what's it called? Oh, there was a, that place that I almost got mugged by okay. those people. Um, but that's a long story that I'm... Not qualified to tell. Out <laughs> loud on air. Um, what's it called? Uh, Piccadilly Circus. That's right. That's what I was going to ask you about. Cause... Piccadilly Circus is cool. Um, just at nighttime, there's a bunch of really sketchy people there, and they're trying to, like, all of them trying to, like, steal your money or, like, sell you drugs or fake drugs or whatever. Goodness gracious. But it's flashy. It's cool. The tube is really efficient. It's like their subway is way way nicer than New York. Is it York subway. pretty easy to use? Very easy get to around. use. Get around really easy. You may have to walk a little bit, but other than that, it's a breeze. That was one thing I was concerned about. That's the one thing I'm always concerned about when I travel places. Just like how am I going to get around? But well, I I definitely like gives you any idea how easy it is to navigate the tube. We went out one night with our um, acting professor after. One of our uh, our final performance, and uh, his name is Dick and Terrell, really cool guy, wanted to hang out with us afterwards. Well, we met these two conspiracy theorists at this uh, pub. Solid. And um, our professor came in and bought us all drinks, and we were drinking with them, and they were like, had everyone in London at like five o'clock when everyone gets off work, you see businessmen, um, they stand outside the pubs and drink. There's like... All along the outside walls of the pubs that line the street, there are, like, shelves that are, act as a, like, mini bar oh, okay. for you to rest your drink on. So, like, it in between, like, four and seven, whenever you walk down the streets, you just see crowds of people outside the pub just having one drink before they go home. And they, like, meet and talk business and stuff like that. That's so that's cool. And it's really weird, though, because, like, we all, we saw it and we were, like, was something going on that, like, we don't know about? 
but we ran into these two guys that were doing that and they started talking just nonsense about anything and everything and one of the guys aliens yeah <laughs> aliens they were talking about government stuff they were talking about um a lot of US stuff they were both from England but uh my friend Andrew was actually taking a video of us in the club that we were at we transitioned to another club and the guy got caught in the camera like as he was going his field of vision was caught in the camera and he knew that he had been caught on camera and he like freaked out and like he like went and hid behind this other girl and was being really weird about it well we finished there and i'm telling you that like i had no idea where we were but and i was not in any position to try and find my way home on right. a, in a country i've never been to but we found our way back on the tube so it's not that yeah. difficult to navigate <laughs> we found our way back and i don't remember most of it but we got our way we we got back to the uh, dorms so. now a couple of questions so it, i've heard that london be compared to kind of new york city is that true yeah new york is um london is like all of England feels like what it what you would assume is true about it. It's old, um, older than anything that we have here. There are buildings that that literally look like they're made out of like paper mache and wood. Jeez. Some of them, um, the actual cities uh, or the suburbs of the of the cities inside of London are like copy paste copy paste copy paste copy paste all the buildings look the same like but downtown london is very artsy and glitzy when it comes to like architecture and the buildings so that's a lot like new york the skyline is different though because in new york you can be standing on like if you're at you know 7th and 42nd or you're 8th and 42nd down there and like right in the heart of times square and you look up you can't see much of anything you just see the the buildings because all the buildings are so tall in london they have a couple of really tall buildings but for the most part like you can see the sky at any point and it's always raining so it's not as dirty i i I wouldn't say it's as dirty as new york it's definitely not as dirty as france france is worse than both those places combined yeah i just my other question was how clean it was yeah it's clean they have um People walking around constantly picking up trash and things like that. There was – I would say that there were a fair amount of people that were sleeping outside, like people that may have been homeless but not anywhere near as many as New York. Like they weren't haggling you or hassling you. They were just just trying to sleep Mm -hmm. on the subways and stuff. Um, It's busy car-wise. Like the streets were always packed. But for the most part, I mean it's it's pretty nice. Like – there were a lot of shops and things like that in the area of London that we were in. We had about a 15-minute uh, ride to Shakespeare's Globe. Um, God, it's been so long ago. I don't even remember what side of the city we were on. But it's cool. I, like, it's a fun place. It's kind of muggy all the time, but and it's kind of breezy. But it's it's really pretty, and the people can be mean, but they can also be really nice. Like, mm. We had a lot of people that were super nice, like in any city, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and... Uh... This is all now. Just so I can give a premise here, Drake uh, has been an actor for a good while now, a part, a good part of his life, and he studied acting at Texas State University. Eat him uh, up, eat him up, cats. Uh, and um, Drake was a prominent factor in high school. Uh, productions one act plays that are about forty minutes in duration. Um, he did one senior year that I watched twice. Uh, it was the 
Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, God, that was so bad, though. <laughs> that was, that was good, man. terrible. <laughs> Wait, which one? What was it called again? Maelstrom. Maelstrom, okay. Yeah. He, uh, he dyed his hair black. I did. And <laughs> grew it out a little bit. And also grew a tiny little mustache and dyed that black. I did. My... Photo ID for the state of Texas is me the day after I dyed my hair. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I have black hair and like the remnants of a mustache, and I just look miserable. I look like a 28 year old pedophile. Like, <laughs> it's not a flattering photo at all. Man. So Drake kills it in, you know, and his group was all state competitive um, once or twice yeah. in high school. Once when I was there, and then I think. They went twice after I left, mm. which is a bit of a stab in the gut, <laughs> but I'm okay, I'm fine. No, they did great. Uh, but he also did a production of the musical Chicago in high school and played the businessman... Lawyer? Yeah. Lawyer, Billy Flynn. Yeah, lawyer. Lawyer! Uh, he was fantastic, and then I saw that three times, so there's that. Uh, and actually, the theater director at where we went to high school... Um, was my homeroom teacher, so we were tight. And, <laughs> and then, we would always visit, and I would. I used to be able to get out of math class and be like, "Miss Myers, uh, Miss Meyer, I need to go do something for the show." Yeah, and she'd yeah. be like, "All right, just make sure you get your homework done." And be like, "All right, Judy, see you later." <laughs> yeah, man, we used to go in there and like we were separated by last names, so literally a bunch of people with the last name H, <laughs> and we're just hanging out and. I don't know. I miss those days because I knew Drake would roll in on Wednesdays. Dude, we used to throw the frisbee around in the the performing arts yeah. center and just do mess around. <laughs> Senior year was like a breeze. High school was so easy. It was easy. <laughs> now I'm struggling to pay my student loan bills. Uh, but since he since high school, he went to San Marcos, Texas, and he starts his uh, BFA and. Acting is just an acting, right? Yep, just acting. Okay, cool. Um, and that's interesting because that's a whole. We both have fine arts degrees. Mm-hmm. While I'm about to get mine, and yours is a totally different aspect of the spectrum. Yeah. So, um, you went into uh, you went into college with a lot of credits, so you probably didn't yeah. do as many gen eds as I had to do. But no. Um, but you were able to participate in a lot of what you wanted to do, which was act. So. Yeah. You, what kind of productions were you in in college? Um, so I was in a couple of different shows. Um, I was able to be cast in A Midsummer Night's Dream, Shakespeare's play. Um, I was able to be in a musical called Kiss Me Kate, written by the infamous Cole Porter. I'm super um, familiar with that one. I actually played that one. Oh, yeah. you did that recently, yeah. Yeah. Um, how were the gangsters? Were they any good? Ah, they were pretty They were okay. That's what I was. I was a gangster. Brush. I uh, played that show six times. That show so. gets annoying real fast. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, man. It's a great show when you hear for the first time. But then after a while, it's just like, oh my god, she hates men. We get I it. Like, hey, oh, so men. terrible. And they're both, both of their characters are equally despisable. Um, it's based off of Shakespeare, though, right? It's based off of The Taming of the Shrew, but it's actually based off of, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to, blank on their names it's based off of two real life actors that played the the musical itself is based off of a true couple okay that played um petruchio and uh kate catherine 
and they hated each other but ended up falling in love and that happened in real life so the play the musical was written based off based that, off, of real based, life, off based off of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew okay so it gets kind of confusing the whole play is a play within a play so you use there sometimes when the actors are like uh, singing a song in the musical in the they're singing a song in Taming of the Shrew yeah. and then they're singing a song in Kiss Me Kate right. and it's, sometimes that line gets blurry, which so it's kind of cool. Which I mean, you know, because you you played it, but you know what's interesting? We have a an in ground pit, so I didn't see, I didn't actually see the musical. Dang! I just played it. You know, we had four hour dress rehearsals. There was like five of those. Uh, we had two hour musical rehearsal musical rehearsals all throughout like a couple months before that. Um, but I never actually saw it. Really? I just That's rehearsed crazy. with the the crew. I just rehearsed with the cast and the crew for dress rehearsals and then played the shows. Such a strange, like, separation of exactly the mediums. I know that we did Anything Goes my freshman year, which is another Cole Porter show. And uh, we actually had a miss. That I wasn't in it. I was watching it on the first row. And um, in one of the scenes, the bar that's supposed to be flown out was taken up and there were a bunch of bottles on it. And whenever it went up, they took it up too fast. So it hit the curtain and knocked like six or seven of the glass bottles from the top of the Jeez. proscenium arch. Fell, they fell down and shattered, but two of them fell into the pit. And thank God they had that catch net there yeah. because it would have hit uh, some of the players right in the forehead. <laughs> but we were sitting there just like – I was on the front row like this is the worst – possible thing that could possibly happen is that there's shattered glass everywhere and you don't know whether you should stop the show or people should play it off but they stopped it and um caitlin hopkins the head of the musical theater program came down and was like we're gonna hold we're gonna hold and she like did her glitzy glam like she like made it kind of a scene and like Mm. made everyone laugh a little bit and was like in the show business she's like show business right and like yeah everyone was laughing and stuff and then they just like swept it all up and continued but it was so scary i saw the bottles could have easily hit some of my friends that were up there that were like standing there and they just like crashed right beside them. And Goodness. people were like, it was like, bang. Death from above. Crash. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> death, oh my God. That's the real death from above. With yeah. like glass bottles. That's, but, that, that's horrifying. And at the same time, we had, we were completely closed off because we didn't have netting. We had just solid boards. So, like, it's almost like I was... So your pit isn't open at all. You play underneath no. the stage with what? My, you're mic'd up underneath Mic'd there, up. Yeah. And... They have monitors on the conductor so that the actors can see them? Yep. And the conductor's elevated just ever Dang. so slightly. So it's just dark down there and you just play for, like, an hour and a half? Yeah, and there's then. lights, you know. Say, uh, there's I mean, you have, like, personal lights and stuff? Personal lights and maybe a couple work lamps. Dang. So we can get around. But at the same time... Um, there was parts in the show like you probably you probably know the parts where like it's pretty lengthy dialogue wise. Yeah. So, um, like for instance, there's there's a scene where uh, the main male lead is talking to Kate and it's really long. And dude, I was watching NBA. <laughs> oh my god! NBA games. <laughs> that's and, awesome. Yeah, and so like that's that was one benefit, and the conductor didn't care. He was yeah. But um, the musical director for our shows, uh, Greg, he got the chance to go sit in the pit whenever they did Hamilton. He got to oh, go to a show of Hamilton on Broadway and sit in the pit while they conducted the whole show. I think I've seen the drummer for Hamilton on Instagram, but I, I follow the drummer f- for The Lion King on Broadway. He That's ha- pretty cool. He's been the drummer for The Lion King for 
uh, about 14 years now. It's one of those positions I feel like they're like, we don't need to replace you. You're doing good. You yeah. know it. Like, you know it so well. But they recently rewrote some of the music. That's cool. Yeah. And which is interesting because then that keeps people a little motivated. Yeah. And also spices up the show a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you've had a show running for so long, you got to do something. And since Kiss Me Kate was my first experience playing a musical. musical that, did you enjoy it? Like actually, I did. Um, I've heard that a lot of groups don't rehearse as much as we do. Yeah. But. They'll, uh, they'll walk in there. I know our, our orchestra are, all, are not students. They're all uh, professional musicians. So probably from the San Antonio Austin area. Yeah, they are. They're all recruited from Austin or recruited from uh, <clears throat> some of the schools in the area. So they come in and they'll pl- they'll do a playthrough um, like a, two days before our sits probe. We'll sits probe and then they'll play a couple of times with us, but for the most part, we get we get them like we get a couple of checks with them to go over some like brush up your Shakespeare is one that like was very dependent on music and mm. dialogue to for cueing each other, but for the most part, other people will just like oh that's the track that we've heard the whole time and they right. rehearse once or twice and then they're and then they're good. We actually play um, a different. Entrance, uh, our the oh, we didn't play the actual written overture. We we played it different. Really, we played. Uh, I think we played the epilogue. I forget. We moved some stuff around. So. The overtures for like golden age musicals are boring. And I hate overtures. Yeah, that's like, probably why they didn't play it. I'm like, okay, you're gonna give me a tour of the whole freaking show in the ten minutes. Yeah. you've already dimmed the house lights, so I'm ready to watch the show. I'm getting kind of bored, and then you're going to sit there and play me something that I probably already know because I'm familiar with the musical because right. it's old as hell. It just seems like it's – I'm just like, come on. Yeah, what I did pick up on was uh, stage uh, terms. Stage directions? Stage yeah. terms? Yeah, like, you know, the uh, – and I already forgot them. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, there's the middle curtain is called the um, – What's it called? Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Man, what's it called? The middle curtain? No, it's like it's like the the channel or something like that. Mid channel. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. You're in the area. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, <laughs> I know uh like some random stuff, but from I didn't pay attention in class. I I mean like we actually had me and your wings, the, those, your wings. Yeah, the wings and stuff like that. Um, we had some dialogue with this the director um, about that, and just because we were passing time, and it was pretty interesting because like you hear people talk about stage safety and all that kind of stuff, which I know yeah. can be an issue to some people, or if, especially if people walk in there and they don't know, and like something they're like, "Don't touch the sandbags" or whatever. Yeah, no stage safety is like uh, if you're gonna go zip lining. It's like everyone's there to have fun, and then there's like one person that's like, "Okay, but I gotta take you through all the <laughs> yeah. steps that everyone already knows." Mainly, just don't be an idiot. Um, yeah, unless the biggest issue that with stage safety is like if if it's pitch black, which we did a show, my junior year end of my junior year um called a flea in her ear that was like a french comedy Mm -hmm. and it changed the entire there are three acts first act was um a house the second act was a brothel 
and the third act was the house again. Yes. But they switched the entire set. So like they when they when the curtain came down for the intermission between the first and second act, people are like running, Striking grabbing ears, just like doo 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 really moving really quickly. So if you don't know what you're doing there, um, or we haven't had it properly rehearsed, like there were moments I had a like a twelve second costume change in that show. Like two or three of them. And and if you were in my way when I came off stage, you would have gotten run over because I wasn't looking for any. I was looking to get to where I needed to go. Things like that that like matter for the most part, but otherwise it's just like keep your head down. Don't, yeah, don't look up. Now I was um, gonna ask you this. I think I've asked you this in our personal conversations, but what is okay? Let's say you're in a new production, and uh, they're going okay. You got this part. Now, what is your process for starting a preparation uh, for that production? So um, most of the time we'll have a production meeting. And this is how we did it at Texas State. It's probably similar in professional scenarios, but you know, we, we it'll change depending on who's directing, how they want to do things. If you're in a musical, you'll always learn the music first. Right. Um, so you'll have a production meeting where everyone's like, hey, I'm this person, I'm this person. You get to meet everyone in the cast. Uh, and at Tech State, we have the design, um, whoever designed the show, Light Design, will come in and tell us what her, him or his or hers, um, sort of view for the show will be. Uh, and a lot of times it's, it's really cool because that's the moment where, like, I know whenever we did, um, a Fleenery or reading the script, there were probably 30 or 40 times in the script that we were like, how are they going to do that? Like, there are moments, because it's, it was written so long ago, they're, they probably did it some way that we would not even think about doing it now because of the technology and things mm. that we have. But there are still moments that are like, I have no idea how they're going to pull that off. Mainly some of like some of my quick changes, some of the set changes, things like that. So then you bring in the set designer, the lighting designer, the costume designer, and they're like, here's what we're thinking for these moments or here's what we're thinking for the show. And the whole cast gets to see it and then everyone gets really excited. It's like, oh, this is what it's going to look like. This is what the costumes are going to be. Um, and then the director tells you, you know, this is what I want too. And then you, we normally do like a read through of the show. Um, and then rehearsals for a straight play normally just start with, uh, blocking, you know, going through the script page by page. It's like, all right, on Tuesday from six to 10, we're going to do pages two through 17. So, um, if you're in two through five, be here this time, five through 10, be here this time. Oh, that's cool. So, um, it's cool unless, you know, some of the characters like pop in and out every other page. Uh, so they're not in it, but they're there. Um, and then we basically work through that whole process. And um, depend- Shakespeare is different, though, because Shakespeare, a lot of the times, um, you know, people have a harder time grasping sometimes what they're saying. And, and just the language is a lot more um, difficult to comprehend and articulate a lot of times and tell that story. So... Shakespeare will I know when we did Midsummer we spent a week and a half two weeks just sitting around a table talking about what's really going on um working through the script page by page scene by scene trying to basically literally going through and translating every single line into what is really being said versus how the character is saying it and trying to say what the character says and mean what we know they mean in a way that we can connect with right um and then yeah you get to like get through the whole process and that's I think our, our schedule is like 30 or 36 days for the show. And so that's five days a week, five to six days a week, um, four weeks to six weeks, just depending on if you're doing those weekend rehearsals or not. And then uh, tech week starts and you basically have to be on your stuff by then. And they start bringing in the set and they're like, all right, uh, Q37, we're going to go from your line. Okay, now we're going to your line and you kind of skip around and run around and stuff. And um, 
I always brought my PlayStation and just sat in the back and played FIFA during QDQ because Are you serious? Yeah, dude, because sometimes, you know, when it comes to lighting and sound, if there's a big say there's a big dance sequence and I'm not a dancer, so I'm not gonna be in the dance sequence, um, they have fifty to sixty lighting cues in a dance sequence and they have to go each individual one and, and schedule them after each other. Wow. And no and especially in musicals it's really, really intense because there's a lot of spots and things like that that are happening. Um, most of our straight plays I know that not necessarily for Midsummer, but for Flea were uh, just generic stage lighting. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of specialty stuff, but I mean in, in musicals you're gonna have the gobos and you're gonna have all the special lights and um the LEDs and the the rolling LEDs, the ones that move and stuff. So that's just like a week of not really doing anything. And then you get to your final dress. You have a couple of dress rehearsals here and there in that week. And you get your final dress and then you open and hope that it goes well. And like a text day, we open on a Tuesday. If you're on the big stage, we open Tuesday, run Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it's over. So like that's more like kind of what real world is then. Yeah, real well, it just depends. Real world like... They, I have friends that are in repertory theaters that, so they, this is just, it's crazy when you think about like theater and professional theater because it, it gets so grown up so quickly. It's, uh, I have friends that are in a show that they have a rehearsal from nine to 12 or one for one show, then one to four or four thirty for another show. And then they go on for a third show at five. They're performing wow. that show. So it's a repertory theater. So like. Whenever they get done with that show, then they'll throw in another show, and they're basically in three revolving shows at once, having to memorize all the lines and everything. And I have friends that are swings in some of those shows, and if you're a swing, a lot of times you have four or five characters that you have to know every single thing for. It's basically an understudy for multiple characters. Goodness gracious. And it just it gets – I'm like, I can barely – memorizing lines, I suck at that, dude. I'm so terrible That's at it. One, really? It's my hardest thing. It's the one thing I struggle with the most. What – and like how much room is there for – um, I guess ad living when it comes to that. When it comes to the shows, yeah, it just depends. Like, because human nature probably, you know, nerves come into factor. I know for drumming, like we can get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you can sort of like fit it in there when no one's paying, or exactly. you know, you can kind of slide it in there. Or if I we make say, a mistake, we can easily fix it. Sometimes. I would say the most ad libbing that I've seen done um, comes in the form of. Not maybe not um, adding anything, but moving things around. So like uh, in high school, I did a show with um, with this girl named Nicole, and uh, it was just us two. And basically, it was a story about a firefighter who loses his best friend in the towers um, on nine eleven, and he has to give the eulogies for his best friend and three other firefighters. So he tells four separate encounters with the firefighters, and one night we just just i started out the first story with the third guy and then we Mm. we got caught in that rhythm of saying those lines and so by the end of the night we had went three then back to two then back to one but no one would ever know because when you know the script well enough you find the there's like a flow to it there's like a you know i'm sure like you can feel the music sometimes if you improvise you're not really improvising you're just sort of letting it take you where it's going to go anyways and you're just kind of like hopping on Mm. i know that i feel that way about Music sometimes it's like okay well that thing is something needs to come and then it just comes organically yeah. or naturally and you're like okay well that was my body. Well, that's just what separates over. good writers from bad writers, then, right? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's also what separates good actors from bad actors. I think it's what separates good directors from bad directors. Like I just think, bad composers and good. Composers. I think if you're in, if you can get into a rhythm and a feel, which is what anybody would want to be in whenever they're in a show, then like I know there have been times that I've maybe been 
worried about I've I've forgotten lines on stage before, but I've either like flubbed it or tried to fibbed it out, like faked a line that wasn't there that seemed like it was a real line, or someone else picks up the cue. And in Flea, we had a couple times where someone else picked up the cue, or or like you accidentally jump a cue, so you skip three or four lines. Mm. And sometimes you skip something that had to be said for the audience to get what's going on. And when that happens, sometimes people will just throw it in there and like things like that. But none of that's possible if you haven't had six weeks of rehearsal with the right. same people and know how they work and know how they Knowing think. In, and like that's how I was for my recital. Um, I, that's like I went up there and I was like, if I mess up, I know how to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like literally you could probably do it forwards, backwards, upside exactly. down and right side up. You could do it completely different than the way it's written and it would still be the same thing to you because you have all those pieces, which is what's cool just generally about – memorizing or being having a relationship with a piece of art is that like you can essentially manipulate it to do whatever you want like right. you could turn it into whatever whatever you want however you want um and it's fun it's really beautiful to see people that's why i love improv so much is because improv is like taking that premise of the ebb and flow of the art and you take out the core proponent to that equation which is which is the art the texture it's the it's the it's the the building materials of the entire structure and then you solely rely on your relationship with the other characters who are not characters that are already written they're just non-existent you know they're just sort of like vanishing they're just like okay well now we're gonna build something that's believable and i like i like um you know there's a short form and long form improv right short form is like sketch-based Less sketch based, probably more like, game game yeah, based. Yeah, game based, right? And then they're sketch based, and um, it's crazy, dude. You can see people do some improv that it's like, how is this not scripted? Like, right. if this feels so real, how are they? They don't know what's coming next, and then and then you wonder, like, but did they did they maybe like talk before the show, or did they maybe like plan it out a little bit? And the answer most of the time is no. They they didn't. No, they but I imagine out. groups like maybe Second City just show up and do the gig. Yeah, they do. They also have a lot of classes, so they just like are just probably Constantly pounded practice. with what's going. Which with. is like practice for a musician. Yeah, it, it's like, what is it really going to take for me to um, always have an outlet for whatever happens? So yeah. like. For me, um, practicing, just getting behind the kit makes me feel better about what I can do on stage behind Yeah, me. yeah. Um, now, I don't like to do it, but for some gigs, I could go up there without any practice by just, you know, just by listening to songs, I would be okay. Yeah, which that's, that is like the most powerful thing when you know that you don't want to but you could like yeah. you know you could and then yeah. you're like okay i'm good <laughs> exactly like that but it took me a long time to get to that point it's confidence too it's a mental thing it is i that's one of my issues in honestly in, in some of my theater is that i um i am so comfortable in in the um in the like this may not happen area Mm -hmm. more so than other people are so that causes me to sometimes be underprepared because i don't i'm not afraid of being underprepared because i know that i'll figure it out Mm. but that doesn't work well sometimes when other people who are afraid of it not working out or who you may not can trust as much as other people backwards and forwards yeah it's like i I like to go up there and i did this a lot in college and it bit me in the ass a couple times and i have learned my lesson since but still the essence of it 
sort of feeds me is the idea that like all of my classmates would would prepare for this thing and I just like wouldn't yeah. prepare just to see what I was capable of winging it. And for most of my life, I've been able to get by winging it and people have thought what I was able to do when I was just sort of throwing it out there was like, they were like, wow, that was awesome. And then I'd like walk away with a smirk. I'm like, I didn't even prepare. Like, I just, <laughs> like, I just pulled Feed that out that of my ego. ass. But the reality is that what I learned a lot in school was that it's cool to have that ability to do that and to feel that way. But other people may not feel that way, you know, may not be as comfortable. And how cool would it be to harness the power of that confidence and with also being prepared. Like if you are prepared and you, you have the like ability, the then you would be unstoppable. And that's what I have yet to be able to, to like really grasp is I'm just, I suck at preparing sometimes. That's just, Mommy, I enjoy not being prepared too much. It, it's a comfortability thing. It's a confidence thing. Um, but I, I kind of had this revelation when I was in school in my private lessons. Um, one day I asked my teacher, I'm like, what is, what is flow? Like, what is the, what is the ability to have your hands look like there's no, no stuttering at all? Unless there, you know, obviously needs to be if I need to. Yeah, yeah. But what is that? And he said, familiarity. Yeah. And how you get to familiarity is just practice and spending time with it. So... But that, that not just with that piece, but with the instrument, you know. <coughs> and sometimes in percussion, it's tough because we have so many different instruments. You do, yeah. Um, but well, it's like you, a computer. It's like a com- the way that our our minds work is like okay. So if you have, you know, you could hit you could hit the snare drum this way, or you could hit the hi hat this way yeah. on this side of your body with this hand or this hand. Eventually, you know, after a certain number of outputs. You're, you've reached all of the inputs and that may seem infinite like mm. to a degree but whenever you've hit everything every way, every possible way over and over again and you've done everything that you can which we may never get to but there gets to a point where you've done it a lot more than someone else has which is just I think like the 10,000 hour rule that like after 10,000 hours you become master at something. Like your body is like I've experienced every way this could possibly go right? and now I know how – I know – our bodies are crazy, dude. Our I mean, bodies can do shit that we don't even... Our minds are crazy because, like, you mean to tell me, like, every person in the in that theater, sitting in that audience, has the same amount of experience you do with being the only person on a stage talking. Like, the only person in the entire room talking is that guy on stage... And reciting these lines in front of all these people, like, there's not everybody, not nearly the amount of people in the crowd um, have the same amount of experience as you would think, you know? Yeah, no, and I I realized that in college, too, being in some of the gen eds that I was in, that, like, you know, being surrounded by people that are in theater comes with its obvious pros and cons. One of the pros being that people are really efficient at communicating, so going into a regular class with a bunch of people that have to give a speech and then watching people like bomb yeah bomb on a speech about like celery why yeah why you should go to Taco Bell after a certain time or you like it's like it, I was it blew my mind I was in a um I was in a communications class and we had to develop speeches 
about something we cared about and had to meet this criteria or whatever. That's okay, and class like that. people were giving speeches over like why dogs are better than cats, but they could barely get anything out. And it was so frustrating. I was like, yes, but I'm getting frustrated because it's not my normality. But it, but a huge amount of people just don't have – they're not in a career path or they're in a field or have history where they speak it, like even as themselves. They don't right. give a speech. They've never talked in front of a crowd, much less as a character or someone that that's not them. This is why we have mumble rap. <laughs> But I took a class like that as well, and uh, just see people kind of spiral out of control. Yeah, because people don't perform. You know, there's people out there. There's people out there who don't have performance based niches or or jobs. There's just people out there who could sit at a desk and and punch in numbers, and they're fine with it. Yeah. One of my best friends is that way. He's like, wants to avoid the spotlight and like wants to just do the data. Like he just, and he loves crunching the numbers and, and feels like he can see a beginning, middle and end result. And like the end result is what he expects from the beginning. So when he sees it come to fruition, it satisfies him in some sick accountant way. And then he cracks open a beer. And, he's and then he cracks open a beer and beats his shin with a foam roller. Like <laughs> a freaking movie. But there are some people that are like that, and there, there, there are people like us who just like we have an innate desire to do something other than be boring. Oh like, man, that is the whole <laughs> premise of my mindset. It's just like I just I don't care to be any. I don't care to be the guy that people know a thousand of. You know, like, yeah. This like I saw someone today from high school that got out of the car at a gas station with their kid and I was like man that's cool they have a kid and then I was like yeah but I don't yeah and I was like oh okay we're moving we're rolling now okay we're moving somewhere we're good okay I can do what I want I think about this especially lately I've been thinking about this a lot how um, how happy I am that I was given this mindset of not wanting to just be um, stuck in the same place yeah um, that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because how many people do you know have a podcast? Oh, I don't know. Anyone Ex- has a podcast. <laughs> and it's not for to be different. It's to share information with the people who have the same mindset I do. Yeah. And there's, there's a reason why I ask certain people. And, um, dabs. <laughs> compliment. Um, I need a, I need, I, I was talking about this. I need a soundboard and I'm like, compliment. Do. Compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's one of the reasons why I started because I think I can inspire people who have that in them to not want to be boring and not sit in that cubicle and actually do what they want to do. You know what I mean? And I think about this a lot. I guess it's because I'm about to wrap up my undergrad and uh, trying to figure out what the next step is still. And so that, that leads me to be like, I could go down this route and get stuck or I could go down this route and see what happens. I think the root of it um, is also like where you derive value from. Like for people that have those jobs that is crunching a number or doing the thing that gets them the paycheck. I found that a lot of those people have value in – they place their personal value in the worth of their assets, like the money or mm-hmm. – Things like that, which is you know why you don't see guys rolling around in an old shaggy van 
offering to do your taxes. You see guys rolling around in an old shaggy van offering to play you a tune they wrote on the road. You know, right. it's like <clears> the <throat> difference between musicians and artists and um, people that derive their value from something else, from family, from loved ones. You know, I know that for me personally, like my value of myself is not realized yet, which is why I'm still searching for the thing that I need to do. You know, like it's like if I knew what made me feel valuable and if I knew what fulfilled my self-worth, I would be doing that, but I haven't found it yet. And some people find it early. Some people find it at some people find it you know, just eighteen, just a little bit later than early. Yeah, you know and I mean? some people find it. My little brother's about to go join the Air Force. Like that for him, has been his dream. I could, I would never want to do that ever. <laughs> See, I I find myself having multiple dreams that are kind of um, layered into each other. I knew for a fact that I wanted to play drums. I I wanted to play drums and percussion. That's one dream fulfilled. So I'm working on that, right? But then there's another dream that's layered within that, and that's like, what do I do with it? Yeah. And uh, part of me wants to buy a cabin in Montana and move out there with Dude, a band. I totally know. And <laughs> another one, I love teaching, and I wouldn't mind working at a high school and you know getting a stable income. Um, another part of me wants to go see go to Nashville or L.A. or somewhere where I could find out what would happen if I just plugged myself into the local scene um there's just so many routes i could take and i know that feeling exactly and i remember feeling that before i graduated too that was like okay so um i i was doing blinds at this guy's house and he was about a year or two older than us oh side note drake installs blinds i install blinds hit me up eight three two seven nine four three seven four run off some discount blinds hey um and this guy he was like an he was an athletic um fields manager for like a school district graduated from a&m and then like has a house and a family and i was like wow that sounds really nice i was like do you get to come home every day to your house and you have things and like they drive a nice car and they were talking about when they were going to go to the gym and they were a young couple and i was like wow that's so cool and then i was like also what would be cool would be to travel in an rv around the country and see everything in the entire country that i've always wanted to see you know it would also be cool to move to you know it's like okay all of these things sound like I could probably do most of these, but which one will I do is the question. And then the cool thing is that if you live your life in a way that presumes that you have some sort of plan, even if it doesn't come to fruition the way that you plan it to, you can account for those dreams later in life when they're more accessible. You know, like right now the reality of me hopping in a van and traveling and making a pit stop at the best barbecue places in the country is not a reality because I don't have that kind of money. But when I'm 55 and – Smoking fatty fatties, you know, I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I think it could be reversed sometimes, though. I think, um, I was actually told this by a professor that I thought I'm thinking about attending graduate school at. Um, he was telling me, he's like, you know, that education degree is always going to be there. Yeah, so um, do what you can while you don't have yeah, the commitments. Yeah, and I, I know how I am. I, I, when I commit to something, I do it. And, if I was at a school and let's say I build this program up to what I want it to be, but then we have a setback. Well, me personally, I can't end end anything on a bad note. Yeah. I have to end it on something where I can be like, I'm proud of that. Yeah. Um, so knowing me, I'd be like, Oh, well, I guess I'm here for another five years. And yeah. Then, and then another five years after that, another five years. So it's, um, I've never been in a more crucial time in my personal uh, 
I guess, decision-making, I would say. Um, but good for those people who, are, who had it figured out from the yeah. very beginning. Um, and I think the reality is that a lot of those people just sort of winged it and then figured it out. Yeah. Which is what we'll end up doing. You know, it's like, I don't really know what the... F is going on. It's like it's what I did for my undergrad. Yeah, I didn't know where I was going I'm to just to like I'm gonna fake it till I make it and then make it. I mean, that's adulthood. If there's anything I realized, it's like growing up is not like there's not a certain point where you're like, yes, I am now an adult, and upon these responsibilities, I shall take. I will do this, this, and this. It's kind of like, oh crap. Oh, I gotta do that. Yeah, <laughs> that was yesterday. Oh no. Oh, this is tomorrow. Blah blah blah. Like, I just we'll figure it out somehow. I guess if we don't. What but you're raised, you're raised to think like your parents are your superheroes or like your the adult figures in your life. Oh yeah, are like they got everything taken care of. My cousins when I was growing up, I looked up to them so much, and now when I look at them, I'm like, wow, I'm in your shoes where you were when I was that age, and like I feel like just a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't really doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like me. I'm not. I'm not someone. It's weird thinking about people looking up to you because it's like, man, they look up to me the way I looked up to this person. But I do not feel like how I felt that person right. would feel at my age or my season of life. It's uh, scary in a sense. But at the same time, um, I guess this is my anxiety. But I think about, I think about like what life is a lot. And I think about how many people um, spend 45 years in the same job and, yeah. you know, like – they don't really do much, but they work, and that there's value in that, and they have a family, and there's a ton of value in that. Um, and but like know, all for what? Like I know yeah. that's your question is like, okay, so you work to do to get money to spend on the weekends, so you can go back to work, and then like that stops. That's why you see so many people die at the age of mid early sixties when people retire and they don't have anything to do, they just start dying. Yeah. Like your body's like, I don't, I don't have anything to do anymore. Exactly. That's when people don't have hobbies. They don't have like, uh, or it's like, should I just go through my entire life and be poor and like enjoy it? Exactly. But then I'm like, but I really like filet mignon. Thanks. So <laughs> I really like Outback I Steakhouse. I really like <laughs> nice cars. You know, it's interesting. I, I want to get this guy on the podcast. Uh, there's, a, there's. A <laughs> <laughs> oh man, little gas beer farts. Dude, beer farts. This is my number two. I shouldn't have beer farts by now. Oh man, man, I've been guessing. I had you know what I had Grand Buffet for freaking dinner. That's why. Oh, dude. Oh god. <laughs> anyway, give me cancer now, God. <laughs> Day and night she talks. Day and night she talks. Oh my god, that's the second part. <laughs> Double or nothing. Balls on your court, baby. <laughs> okay, all right. There's a guy that works at the Lake Charles Memorial Hospital. He's the head of philanthropy there. And he was also a touring jazz singer in big bands and stuff like that. Exactly, like, or like, like the Family Guy intro song, like stuff like that. And um, he was... Um, he bounced, you know, having a full-time job, but also living the dream he had. Yeah. Know? He would just fly. Of course, he was good enough to be on call. and just Yeah, yeah. And get the gig, so. 
But how old was he when he was doing that? Well, I don't know. I didn't ask him. That's why I want to have him on the podcast. Because um. I, cause I feel like I've, I've heard stories. Unless you make it, like unless you hit that sweet spot, then you're going to just fight for a couple years. You know, it's the biggest thing. You know, but what's a couple years compared to... The rest of your life. 70, you know? Nothing. Hopefully hopefully you make it that far, but... Dude, the median, I think, age for men is 73, so if you're at 70, you're you're already, like, almost there. Tail in. But I think most people... I have some friends that graduated, and they're, like, six months after graduation, they're like, nothing's working out for me. Oh, I'm not... Don't have a job in my career field. I don't know what's going on, and... And I don't want to take this job because it's not the one that I really want. And I'm just like, if you have to bump the grind for three to four years, in the grand scheme of life, it's nothing to mm. get to get up. You know, I think a lot of our generation expects things to come quicker than they will, or yeah. than they have. They might come quicker now just because of the world that we live in, but we expect them to come quicker than our parents did for sure. Right. Our parents, you know, the ability to think about what we want to do. And pursue that is something that no, not many generations before us have really had access to that yeah. we do, which is what the, the sort of um, conundrum is that like we have the resources to pursue whatever we want and the freedom to do that is like driving us nuts because then if we don't get it, then the reality is that even if everyone in the whole world had the right to pursue what they wanted to do, 1% of them would actually get there. So the fact that, you know, some of our parents, I'm sure, had dreams and big ideas, but they didn't have the opportunity to pursue that. So they gave up on it and then just switched their mind to a different path and they ignored it. You know, networking is so different for us now. Like, yeah, uh, social networks and social media, it's easy to get inspired and it's easy to um, brag about what you're inspired about. But it's also still not it's I would say it's just the same just as difficult to get motivated yeah. as it was for our parents. Yeah, but the difference is that like our us and our parents is almost like someone saying, hey, um, let's say, hey, there's a chance that I found your cell phone and then you find out that I didn't find your cell phone. So you're like, you've been, you've been given the hope and then you've been let down. Is that worse or as bad as or less bad than someone saying, hey, I didn't find your phone, right? Like the fact that you didn't have the hope, like we all have the hope to do what we want to do. Like that is very much so unless you, you know, something for the most part, I think a large part of our generation has the hope and then we're all going to get let down or most, you know, hopefully not us. But but in reality, statistically, it will be us. Yeah. But you have to just believe that you can – you Make are the happen. 1%. Yeah, I mean that's – Like, like that's, you said, you you just – See what happens. Yeah. Like, you got to figure it out. You got to know yourself. Like you, like you know your set. Like you know your kit. Like you know your script. You have to know what you're capable of and trust that. That's the biggest thing that I try and like share ab- about how I feel about my life and how I feel about what I've done is that I, I trust myself more than any I trust anyone else And I didn't world. for a long time. I, in my playing and performing, I had bad performance anxiety for no reason and – I felt that because I wasn't confident in who I was or what I was playing. Yeah. And now that I've just I'm starting to get the starting to get it more and more, it's becoming um it's just becoming more fun. Yeah. It's becoming more motivating. And I'm sure it bleeds into your I know my craft 
bleeds into my everyday life. Exactly. You know, you sort of like like if, for instance, like I want my motivation for fitness is back. Like yeah, and I think I'm like, well, if I'm healthy and I'm fit, that means I get to play drums longer. Or, yeah. You know that that means that um, if I'm taking care of that, like I take care of my playing, then I'll be fine. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. It's just trusting yourself and. I I don't understand the concept of, like, self confidence because I've always felt like the only person that you can count on is yourself, right? And everyone else is a bonus. And yeah, like I think everyone struggles with things about themselves they wish they could change or that they wish were different. But you have complete control over most of those things. So, in the end of the day, no matter what comes, and this is how I think about life. How I think about you know. I'm, fixing to move to a new city here soon and graduation and the whole process of growing up is just like, yeah, but like, we'll figure it out. Like we have to, we don't have much of a choice. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I was joking to my mom the other day. I was saying that like, I feel like, um, the way that I've learned to think about myself has given me good luck, right. you know, like because I think of myself in a positive manner and because I, I try to, um, be positive and try to be, um, you know, genuinely and generally a good person that that transforms itself into things in my life that end up going well for me. Yeah. And, and like, I just, I find my, um, like you said, I like that term bleeding into because, uh, it kind of just overlaps sometimes like my inspiration for my craft overlaps into, um, the passion I have for, uh, I guess you could say like, I don't know, like, man, when I'm at the grocery store, I'm like, how can I do this more efficiently? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, every it's day like Tom life. DeLonge's Academy of, to the Arts and Sciences, I was like, wow, performance, art, and physics? I was just like, God, boner! <laughs> I was like, I want to be a part of this somehow. And Tom DeLonge also believes super believe in super aliens. In aliens. I don't know. There's an article recently uh, that said scientists believe, astrophysicists believe that we were just passed by a UFO and they saw our planet and they go, no. Nah. Uh, not worth our time, which means that there is someone out there that is worth their time because yeah. they have a frame of reference. And I hope they're real. For the, Probably not. Probably I think it's not, because of all the space so. junk we have. We do. We have so, many, we have so much stuff It just there. looks like we're like destroyed. So much stuff out there that's just like... <laughs> that's, that's not a sound effect. R2-D2 from yeah. the first Star Wars just spinning around Earth. Man. So you mentioned you're about to move to a new city. Yeah, about to go to Chicago. Chicago. When is the timetable? What's the timetable? Uh, March 25th is our, is our move day. Well, we were... That's the day that we're actually getting there. Yeah, we... Um, we is me and my friend Andrew from college who graduated a year before I did. Um, we actually found a place. It's been a rough day. Um, we found a place for twelve fifty five a month for a two bedroom. Wow! Which is that's in, as much as in, me for a four bedroom. I know it's, but anywhere else in Chicago is eighteen to to two grand for a two bedroom. Um, this place was 0.2 miles away from Second City. You could walk backwards and get there in five Jeez. minutes. It was on the same street. Um, it was next door to a theater that um, 
think the guest director or the director of the theater, oh, it's called like the Red Crown Theater, um, is Michael Shannon. Um, it was in the heart of Old Town, which is where we need to be for, for Second City and everything. And we got in contact with him and, and talked with the landlord, who is a 90-something-year-old film professor at Columbia in Chicago. What? Um, so it was the perfect scenario, perfect apartment. We have the money. Like we've been saving up since we graduated. He graduated a year early. So he even has a year on me. Um, we both have jo- a job that we can get up there that, that, uh, Andrew knows through a company he works for. Um, and he let us know today that they, that he went with someone else because the distance was going to be an issue. So the distance of, of us moving to having to, the the issue is that the tenants that are living in it now we're we're moving out January thirteenth. Our proposition oh, was that our proposition was that we can start paying the rent January thirteenth. We'll just pay for January, February, and March before we get there. Like we don't mind paying the rent, and I guess that was just too much. He didn't want to have an empty building for that long and someone to check the pipes during the winter, and um, it sucks because we had everything kind of worked out, and then he came back and said that we couldn't get the place. So that was a big letdown today that happened, and we were pretty upset about it. But, you know, we'll figure it out. That's yeah, the thing is exactly. we'll figure it out. It's like, yeah, it sucked today. but um, And it, it was almost one of those things where it was like, if you've ever had a moment where you're like, wow, everything in my life is pointing to this one thing. This is, has to be a sign or this has to be it. This is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing or, or pursuing. Um, we ha- We both, me and Andrew, both had that with this apartment and then it just crashed on us, which is just like, man, oh, we put a lot of effort and thought and, and hope into it in the five days that we knew about it, you know, whatever, but, um, and it didn't happen. So instead of sitting around and boohooing and scratching our heads about it, you know, we'll just keep looking I'll for a place and on, we'll right? figure it out. Yeah. I mean, so what's your plan when you get there? Plan when we get there is to start working, um, and uh, classes for Second City will start up in May, I believe, for the summer sessions. Because I have a BFA in acting, I get to skip two years of their classes Solid. and jump straight into some of the more advanced classes. Um, I'm probably going to try and take some classes at a theater called IO Chicago. It's a little comedy club. They have, when I was up there, they have a musical theater improv class. So, like, the accompanist will just, like, start in. They'll be like, all right, tell us uh, what their relationship is. Okay, mother and uh, mother and husband or mother and son. Okay, and uh, what are they fighting about? They're fighting about the laundry. And the accompanist will come in like, dun, 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 dun. And then you have to improvise. You're just like, wow. you're like, son, why did you? And like, it, it was so, <laughs> the people that I saw, they were the beginners and they weren't very good. But the premise of the class was like, this looks like But you so also have to be fun. musically inclined because musical improvs. You have to, uh, they, the show that I saw was based off of a class. So I know in class they work on, all of this, like they work on the framework of it, but they don't know exactly what they're doing. They should know where to go to start it. Um, but none of them could sing and it still was hilarious. Yeah. You know, it was like you didn't – they didn't really have to be singers. They just had to have the impulse. And as long as they made it seem like they knew what the hell they were doing, it was hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, get there, take classes and then just try and get involved. Try and – Get your name um, out there. Get my name out there. Try and, you know, maybe find an agent up there. Um but really, I just want to start taking classes and um, maybe look into going to grad school up there somewhere, possibly in the near future. Just sort of, uh, you know, it's up, it's up in the air. I just got to get there. It's like the biggest thing. I just got to plant well, my that's feet. Well, that's the thing. If um, When you actually go and put yourself there, that's when stuff can start happening. It does. And, and like, 
that's what I'm going through right now. It's like, man, I feel like if I don't go to graduate school or if I don't go somewhere where I start and try to get gigs and stuff, I'm not going to do it. Right. Like, I'm not going to do it for a while at least. Yeah. Well, you kind of like, you're like, okay, well, what's my time of doing something? Like for me, my time period I set for myself has been three years. Like I'll hit this for three years unless something terrible happens, you know, and it has to end. But three years and then at the third year mark, I'll check in and be like, okay, well, grad school or go back to whatever. Well, I mean like uh, for me, it was either grad school Go somewhere and gig um, or, you know, stay where I'm at and see what happens from there. Yeah. And try to figure it out like we've been talking about. Um, and all of those are not long-term commitments. No, just they don't for have now. to be. They're just for now. Yeah. Exactly. They can be. They don't have to be. You could say, you know, the reality is that I could get to Chicago in March and in my head what's been a long-term commitment of being in Chicago can turn into it's June. I don't have any money and, you know – I need to go home. It could mm. be that. That's a possible scenario. I have faith it won't be just because we'll figure it out. But, right. you know, it could be, oh, I'm in Chicago. I'm in Chicago for eight years now. Um, but it doesn't have – you know, we're in complete control over what we do and how we do it for the most part. You know, if you know your own tendencies, you know, you're like, I tend to follow things through till they're done. Well, then just don't make as many commitments. Right. <laughs> Man, dude – yeah, that's that's super inspiring in itself. Um, that whole decision to go, where you know that you'll be plugged into something that can enhance your craft. You know what I mean? Um, and I think a lot of people who listen to this um, will be able to find inspiration in that because maybe there's somebody out there that's like, "Man, I've always wanted to do it, but I just never did." And I don't want to be on, you know, not to get too deep or anything. I don't want to be on my deathbed and be like, "I should have yeah. went." Well, it's also, um, you know, there's, there's, there's days that I wish I would have went to school for something else. And then there are days that I'm glad I didn't go to school for something else. Like anybody, um, you know, I spent four years of my college degree, $28,000 in debt, studying acting, something that most of the people that are doing it and making the money have never studied. Right. Um, they just are really good at it right off the bat. And I think more than anything... I look back and look forward and say, okay, well, you know, I enjoy doing this. If I can get paid to do this, optimal scenario. If I can't, I'll figure it out and do theater at a local community theater when I'm 45 and have a family. You know, like there's there's other options other than, you know, pursue your dream and you'll make it. It's It's just do what you like doing and your fulfillment will come from that. Like since I've been in Houston, I haven't done any theater. And the reality is that I just needed a break. Like I was Sometimes exhausted. I was out. exhausted, dude, from four years of freaking in and out every single day, every class, emotional vulnerability, like digging into stuff that I, you know, you could have a really terrible day and go into a class that you cannot refuse the vulnerability. Mm. Like you have to be present. And if you're not, everyone knows it and, and you won't get anything done. So, you know, so yeah, I'm doing what I hopefully will make a career out of, but it's, I don't think it's any more noble than, you know, someone being an electrician. I think it's just if you enjoy doing it and you take some sort of – you take something out of it at the end of the day, then, you know, I don't – sometimes I hate theater. Sometimes I don't enjoy doing it at all. But I think at the very core what I love doing is just making people laugh or like making people, entertain. you know, entertain. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's the core like I could be, you know, I could be 21 at a bar and – 
hammered out of my mind and I'm still going to be cracking jokes. You know, it's just, that's just part of who you are. You have to chase that thing that makes you tick. And for me, it's theater. Have you considered stand-up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's partially in the equation for Chicago. Um, I'm, sure, have, I'm sure they have a great scene over they there. They do have a really, really cool scene. A lot of small clubs. Um, basically, just, it's like the place you go to throw your rocks. The place you go to just start kicking and start moving. Um I have a little bit of a routine that's not a routine. Like I have ideas. Ideas, but I but I'm the worst at preparing. Like I just need to sit down and and hammer out a set list per se for, you know, a couple of hours one day and write out my my routine and then practice it and practice it and practice it and I just haven't done that because I've been so focused on getting there. But that's one of the things on my list once I get there and can take a deep breath for a second once I reach that. Like that's my milestone. That's my like you know, pinnacle point where I'm like, okay, big goal, check that off the list, move to smaller goals on my list. That'll be in the equation. Sometimes for you sure. have to put the big goal first. You have to. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes to get to those smaller goals, you got to yeah, do the big exactly goal. That's exactly what it is. Because I know that if I'm sitting here in Houston working on my stand up, you know, I'm not maybe going to get as much out of it as I would in Chicago. And my experience down here has been completely different than it'll be up there. Um, and stand up, and I'll, I plan on taking a class, some classes at Second City for stand up too. So, my my goal is just to get into class because being in a class forces you to create something. It forces you to be to get up there to get up there to do something to interact with your craft to you know focus in on what you're capable of, and I have a hard time doing that sometimes if I'm not in a class. So I'm excited to get back into something that um, there's a little bit of a you know always there's always a com- little bit of a competitive aspect not in who's better but in in seeing what else people are bringing and what else people are doing and how they're bringing it to the you table. You can't worry about other people. Yeah. And I learned that the hard way because I was so focused on what other people were doing, I wasn't focusing on myself and you don't get better that way. Yeah. Criticizing and analyzing people, you just don't get better. You you just I actually, think yeah, it, it that step has to come after you've worked on your. You know, like that's the and I don't mean like comparing yourself to other people. I mean really just like there is something to what, you know, taking what someone is doing and using it to your advantage in a non way that, you know, obviously hurts them, but right. hearing something or seeing something that's like, wow, that reminds me of this and then taking it and twisting it or popping it back in, it's easier not to Not joke stealing. <laughs> yeah, not joke not Carlos Mencia yeah. uh, everything. But, you know, that's artistry I think in general. It's just like drawing your um inspiration from someone else. Your take on twist. things. Yeah, it's your take. It's your it's your lens that you pop on to another person's glasses that they borrowed from someone that they borrowed from someone. So. And then you also have personal experiences that... That no one else has. So. Yeah. I bet you would have a good stand-up routine. Dude, I don't know. I don't... My biggest it's thing scary. is I don't know who I'm going to be. I don't... You know, like, I don't know what my... Um, Dirty comic, clean comic. I don't know, man, because I'm more funny when I'm myself than when I try to be funny most mm. of the time. So that's where I'm at right now. In terms of humor, I'm like you may find that one milestone in that stand up class that'll Yeah, no, and I know that I just need some help. You know, yeah. I just need I need someone to a big brother to like grab me by the leash and be like, This is what you're good at, do this thing. Um and I just haven't had that sort of exposure to any that like area of the medium at all. So I'm excited to get into Chicago and you know, we do some comedy stuff, but we do like we had a clown class and some commedia del arte and which is like old renaissance comedy and things like that, but we've never had like contemporary comedy or anything like, like that. Like, so. you know what's interesting is um, I believe stand-up really is an art form. I'm a huge fan of stand-up. I watch it all the time. I listen to all these comedians' podcasts. And what they all say is, like, we all sucked 
for a long time. Yeah, it's a long run. Tom Segura said that he sucked for like 10 years. Joey Diaz sucked. He didn't start till he was 33. I know. Um, Joe Rogan was 21 when he started, and he was terrible when he first started. Like, And then you got some people who just go up there, and they're, they're automatically funny, and you know it works out for them, but... Um, I just those guys, those guys that do that are oftentimes the the start of the next wave. You know, right. like, like Dave Chappelle, right. Chris Rock. Those guys started this chain, like the shift, the shift of momentum. And people say that um, uh, that comedian from this uh, the seventies, um, the black comedian uh, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor was the kind of the new movement in in yeah. comedy in stand up cuz before stand up was like yeah see so you pulled your pants down yeah it was like, like very vaudevillian yeah and it was like kind of like ah ha 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 that was great yeah. and then you go into like real life stuff where prior was talking about doing cocaine and all this kind of stuff and you're just like whoa what the heck happened and then you have alt comedy which is kind of like alt comedy now is like talking about like having jokes about economy and business and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, but then you got people like Louis C.K. who just rant. And, well, you know, sorry, Louis, but you did it to yourself. <laughs> you did. And then... Uh, you whacked that one up. <laughs> and then you got... Uh, then you got, like, people like Joey Diaz who are horribly dirty. Yeah. But they're hilarious. And then you got people who are just dark comedians, or maybe just dry, like yeah, Mike Birbiglia. Birbiglia, dude, Berbiglia. I love. Berbiglia. What I like about Birbiglia is he's like, uh, he's like, like sixty percent comedian, and then forty percent like, oh shit, he's right. Like, <laughs> like there's there's some of most of his stand up that's like, oh man, I feel kind of bad for you, or like I feel bad for us, or like we're all kind of sad, but we're still laughing. Like Birbiglia is the epitome of the trope that's like the man the old man that wishes he was still like good looking or you know yeah. like he's always kind of like feeling bad about himself what's that line that you had as your twitter bio oh my god time? i dressed down to perpetuate the myth that i might be a fixer up here <laughs> i love it man so that could i can be... quote i can quote his stand-up uh my girlfriend's boyfriend i can literally i've seen that thing probably 30 times just back and forth back and forth back and forth i've seen louis ck's uh chewed up his two two thousand eight um, special and his twenty eleven special hilarious multiple times really and I love it. Wow, dude, you're part of the problem. I'm part. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with her. Where she or what's hashtag the, me too. Me too. Not I'm with her. That's Hillary Clinton. I'm with. Oh god. <laughs> oh god. I'm with him. Uh, but yeah, man. It, there's this art and everything, and I think it's funny. I think it's awesome when I find people who look at art the same way as I do. For sure. And, and like, you look at it the same way, but then everyone's, like, deep down got a different way. Yeah, it's just... I don't know, man. Life life is just full of art. And, like, some people could say even say, like, well, accounting's art. or It know, is. You know, it could be. It very well All could be. art is is really just your interpretation of something. Yeah. It's like, okay, so my interpretation of these numbers, you know, are just going to be different. Or, or the problem-solving factor, you know. But um, I will say this. As one of my dear friends, I do – I hope you were, like, the most successful guy. Thanks, man. Yeah. I hope so, too, dude. I hope that, um, you know, I hope that we figure it out, dude. I hope that, like – I think we will. We have to because if we don't, then we – 
will fail, and that's not an option. Yeah, failure is not an option. And as lame as that sounds, it just really isn't. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. It's not how you fall, it's how you get back up, man. It's like, yeah, did Humpty Dumpty get up get back up? Yeah, he did. No, no, he didn't. He didn't get Fucking back up. Fucking his head is shattered. All right, now I don't want to be like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> but yeah, dude, we're, we'll figure it out. You know, it's like those before us were just tripping, stumbling, and and the people we look up to, like actors or drummers, they, Bill Cosby, they struggle from well. Whoa! <laughs> hey, comedians, stop Dude, being like hey, that. Hey, comedians, quit being freaking weirdos. Hey, Kramer, quit being a racist. Oh my god! What is up, dude? Cosby. Cosby. CK. CK. Done. Who's the next one? The next one. Who's the Man, next? I, I thought Jerry Eddie Murphy. Well, Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy had his rough patch. I bet. Eddie, I bet something bad comes about about Eddie Murphy. Again, like he yeah. he been talking to dogs. Dogs. Eddie Murphy talks to dogs, dude. You never seen that movie? No. Doctor Doolittle. Oh well, yeah. I bet he's smashing them dogs. But like, I don't know, man. Yeah, comedians, just get it together. We like you guys. I like Rogan. I like. Quit doing heroin and pull your life together. Yeah, R.P. Mitch Hedberg. Dude, Mitch. But uh, <sighs> thanks for doing this. For sure, dude. This is fun. I. Uh, this will. This will help a lot of people because not a lot of people know actors or people who have a degree in acting oh, it's so it's so bougie fake prestige it's like I've got a degree in reality I just prestige cried I, I cried in a room for four years like that's what I, <laughs> dude, they were just like tell me what you're feeling and I'm like I don't even know I just came from I'm like if I was I get acting, into class and like walked I just walked a mile and a half uphill don't ask me how I'm feeling I'm literally bleeding sweat like I got stung by eight bees seriously I, I think if I was acting, I, it would be me just... They were like, okay, could you act um, appalled? And I'd be like... <gasps> and that's it. That's even funny to hear you like, think that that would be... <laughs> like, I've never... And then one of my teachers never was like, can you act like this way? <laughs> can you act like... Uh, you Look at your eyes, Schrader. <laughs> Look at your eyes. If anything, most of what we did in school was like... Had nothing to do with acting, and you're like, "Why are we doing this?" And then, like eight weeks later, they're like, "That's why." That's why. And you're like, "Wow, <laughs> dude! Trust the form, trust the art." I know. For me, I I looked up to my mentor and my professor a lot, so I'm sure it was the same for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of like we had to trust them, or else we were just gonna, you know, be like, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. But. Um, regardless, uh, yeah, I think you'll be the only actor I'll inter- <laughs> I'll have on the podcast for a while at least. Uh, I'm tr- I'm still tr- look everybody. I'm still trying to get Will Smith. He still hasn't come. <laughs> so uh, whenever I get to LA, I'll hit him up. Man. Hit him up. Saying, uh, he just put out that movie that's coming out tomorrow. I want Netflix. See that. It looks yeah. pretty good, but um, we'll see. All right, so next. Podcast you'll hear uh, will be from London. Dude. I'm doing one in the hotel room with a bunch of my buddies. That's going to so. be so cool. Yeah. We'll talk about what's been going on. Um, I'll text you a list of places you need to go. Please. Yeah. I need help. I'll text you. I need places to go eat. I'll tell you where to stay away from. Thank you. Now we're going <laughs> to do that. Um, but I'll text you. Uh, Dude, you have to go to the Rose and Crown. It's a, like a chain of uh, pubs. But I went to the one in England. And then I also got kind of drunk at Epcot last week. Oh, I was at Disney. Went drink around the world. I forgot you went and, to Disney. Yeah, I did. It, it, I want uh, to go, we went I to go back. Rose and Crown at Epcot. 
And wow, it was I didn't like, know that oh, was I've been to the real one and I've been to this one. So Yeah, man. London's gonna be cool and um all I know is from doing this podcast is I know really great people who are inspiring. Dude, thanks, and, man. Uh, I'm glad you do a podcast. Uh, something that I've wanted to do for a while with my girlfriend. We want to do a podcast about... Do it. Things this is that, how you could do it, right? <laughs> we want to do one about things that we disagree on that are completely mundane, but like matter a lot to us. Like what like what the right and left side of a bed is. Ah. Or, like, or like, you know, how we feel about animals. I hate animals. But. Well, I, I don't have as much passion for them as others, but... That's a good way to put it. Yeah. But thanks for having me on, dude. This has been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... Drake uh, can be found on DrakeSchrader.com. DrakeSchrader.com. Yeah. He has his own website with Check headshots, bio, resume, bio, resume. Uh, if you were casting direct out there, <laughs> you can do anything. You can do anything and also call me. Also, so, yeah. uh, find yeah. me on Twitter at DrakeSchrader. At, at DrakeSchrader. At DrakeSchrader. And uh, Instagram, Instagram at DrakeSchrader. DrakeSchrader. From a previous stint in life where he would just say that about, like, talk that way about... I would be like, you guys going to talkie-walkie on the podcasty wadcast? <laughs> oh, my. Drink a little beery weary huh? Our friend Robert loves it, so I need to get Robert on here. You do? Um, Robert's like... <laughs> <laughs> SEC, A&M, 12 Rob, if you're listening to this, we love you. No. Um... <laughs> um so yeah, com, all social media, Facebook, whatever, hit them up, tell them you love them. And then um, uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and thanks. We'll see you next time. See you, we'll do it together. We'll just see, see you, you next, next year. Time. Oh, damn it. Oh.